We are going to spend most of our time in those passages from Genesis, so if you want to keep your bulletin open there or your Bible. Um, Before we dive into that, I want to kind of remind you where we're headed this fall with this series. Um, Typically, what I hope to do um, in preaching here at Mountain Fellowship in the years to come is to preach through books of the Bible. So uh, after Advent and Christmas season at the beginning of uh, next year, I'll preach through a book. Not sure which one yet. Stay tuned. But that'll be the typical thing that I do. But I asked the session if I could, this fall, kind of lay some groundwork for all of our future years and, and look at an overview of the whole Bible um, so that when we do dive into a particular book or a particular passage, we can think together about where does this fit in the overall story uh, of the whole Bible. So uh, this series is a little more thematic rather than uh, just working through a book, although we're working through the entire book. Um, So it's a little different. Um, So if you'll... Bear with me on that, but I, and before I pray and, and jump into the sermon, I want to remind you of um, something that we, we did last week, just as I want to try to get this into your head a little bit. This is the entire Bible in a very brief little bit, um, and I'll have uh, a copy of this on our website for you if you want to get it. Look, let's just say that this book is the first page and the last page of the entire story of the entire Bible. And we looked at this last week, so I'm going to be quick. The first two chapters of the Bible is about creation. God creates heaven and earth. There's day, there's night. The seventh day is holy. There's God and people together. And uh, he's created us to be a kingdom of priests. And we're going to talk a little bit about that in a few minutes. But the last two chapters of the Bible, which we heard a little bit from this morning, uh, are about a new creation. There will be a new heaven and earth. There will be no darkness. Uh, Not just the seventh day, but all days. Everything will be holy. God and people will dwell together, and we will be a kingdom of priests. So the first two chapters of the Bible, there's something better than Eden coming. And the last two chapters of the Bible describe that. The third chapter of the Bible uh, tells us, that we'll look at next week, tells us there's a problem, there's a conflict in the story and the fall of humankind. In chapter 3, we learn that Satan deceives, sin deforms, and suffering and death destroy. And from Genesis 3 onward, we learn about the spread of, of all of these things, all of the destruction that comes from sin. But the third to the last chapter of the Bible, Revelation 20, God tells us that all of those things will be judged. He will, he is a just God, he will make all things right. And so Satan is doomed in this chapter. Sin is damned and suffering and death will be destroyed. Then he ushers in the new creation. All of this, going from creation to new creation and from the fall to final judgment, 
all of this, the Bible tells us, everything in between these chapters tells us the story of Jesus. It's through Christ that all things are made right and all things are made new. Through his incarnation, his crucifixion, his resurrection, his ascension. So that's the story of the Bible in a nutshell. Let me pray and we'll jump into the very first part. Father, thank you for your word. Uh, Thank you for um, not being silent. Thank you for wanting us to know you. And so you have communicated to us through this story. And I pray that even now as we dive into just a little piece of it, that your Holy Spirit uh, would come and illuminate our hearts and minds so that we can uh, see who you are and so that we will trust who you are because of what we've heard today. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, um, as we start, I want to make a confession to you as your pastor, and some of you have heard this. Forgive me if you were in my Sunday school class last last year, last semester. But um, my confession is that I was a teenage Elvis impersonator. Yeah, I hope I still have a job after this. Um, it all started in fourth grade, the year 1977, the year that Elvis allegedly died. Um, <laughs> you don't believe. Um, and uh, so my dad was a huge Elvis fan, so I grew up listening to that music. My friend Tommy and I and, uh, joined the, our fourth grade class talent show. I sang Hound Dog while he ran around on all fours around my feet, barking like a hound dog. Uh, that's where it all began. In fifth grade, I went to a new school, and uh, I wanted to be in the all-school talent show. I, I, I wanted to go, go big or go home. And so my mom, uh, who's not a seamstress, she decided to make me the classic Elvis white jumpsuit. And so... Um, <laughs> There I am in that suit that still hangs in my closet. Um, All of my children have worn it at some point in their lives. Um, And uh, so so I I, I did that talent show at school. Um, There were um, uh, fifth and sixth grade girls and their moms clamoring for my attention after that. It was amazing. Uh, one woman cried, I'm, I promise you, she cried and, and yelled out Elvis's name during my performance. So, uh, in seventh grade, I went to uh, a, a new school, um, Charlotte Christian School in Charlotte, North Carolina, and my older brother was already there, and so when I got there, I was, I was just known as Jeff's little brother. You know, nobody likes that, and so um, somehow probably I did this somehow, the word got out that I, I did this Elvis thing. And so uh, at homecoming that year, all grades could go to this from seventh grade up. And so we had a big homecoming banquet and uh, the student body president had found out about this Elvis thing. And so, and there was a band there. So he called me up and had me do Elvis in front of the whole school with, you know, and I had a band this time. It was cool. Um, and 
I sang, as I sang, Love Me Tender, I promise you, this is true, Leslie, the, one of the cheerleaders who was like most gorgeous girl in the school kind of thing, uh, I think she was a model already. She came from the back of the room. She floated toward me in front of everybody. She came up and she planted a big kiss on my cheek. Huh? Every guy in the place was jealous. Huh? So anyway, so from that moment on, I became known as Little Elvis and not Jeff's little brother. Mission accomplished. Um, so I tell you that story because, um, first of all, it's weird and twisted. Um, and we'll talk more about that next week when we talk about sin. But there's something that later as I've reflected on that, there's something I was trying to gain through this, this Elvis impersonation thing. And what I've figured out over the years is that there's something inside all of us that I wanted, that I thought this talent would get me. Two things. First, I wanted to be someone special, and then I wanted to do something special. Um, how did that accomplish it for me? Well, being able to do this little Elvis thing, uh, I got what I thought was love. People liked me. Girls kissed me. It was amazing. So I could be someone special because of this. But I also was making an impact. I, I could uh, do something special. Uh, uh, I made a name for myself. I, I had an impact on that community. And I tell you that because bottom line is I wanted to be a king. I wanted to be the king. Um, and I wanted to be um, king over my kingdom, my, my little community, my people. Um, and, and I wanted people to be all about my purpose, was, which was to be all about me, right? Silly story, silly illustration, but I think that's in all of us. You can think later this afternoon, if you would, about what your Elvis stories are. What are, what are, the, what are the ways that you have foolishly pursued your kingdom over the years? How have you sought to be someone special and to do something special? Maybe a, a, a more adult way of saying this, how have you sought for intimacy in your life? How have you sought to have an impact in your life? Um, and yes, I twisted and corrupted and perverted those two purposes, but what I want to focus on today, and we'll talk more about that next week, but what I want to talk about today is that we're designed for this, actually. We're designed to be someone special and to do something special. We were designed for community. We were designed for a mission. We were designed to be a people with a purpose. And that's what this part of the story helps us to understand. Um, Let's keep going. Here, here we are, all right? Um, that's about the best I can do with the artwork, stick figures. Um, when God created Adam and Eve, 
He created them for three relationships. He created them for a relationship with God. He created them for a relationship with one another, with people. And he created them for a relationship with all that he has made, with his creation. And so you'll notice these arrows point outward um, because we were designed to use ourselves to love and serve God, to love and serve people, and to love and serve all that God has made. Um, We were made to be someone special in community with God and each other, but we were also made to do something special together with the resources God has given us in the place he's put us. We were created to be God's community doing God's mission. To, to magnif- which is to magnify and multiply the goodness, greatness, glory, and grace of God throughout all creation, throughout all eternity. That's what it means. That's what the Bible, how the Bible describes what it means to live in the kingdom of God. Um, it's what I like to call a you-first life, where you look at God, and you look at other people, and you look at all that God has made, and you say, you first. That's how we were designed to live. Um, I told the, the men in men's Bible study last night that I came across an article this past week on the uh, Business Insider website. Uh, Harvard has done a study uh, that followed 800 people over the course of multiple decades, beginning in the early 1900s, and they found six things that make people live what they think are longer, healthier, happier lives. And you would think that if what I'm saying is true, that we were made to live as a community on a mission or as a people with a purpose, um, as people who are being someone special and doing someone, uh, something special, you'd think that if that was true, it would show up in this research that they did. It did, or I wouldn't be talking about it. The six things are interesting. The first two have to do with, you know, keeping yourself healthy and and, and getting educated. That's that's great. But the the other four are all about relationship and purpose. Relationship and purpose, community and mission. Uh, Here's the other four. Um, If you want to have a long-lasting, happy life, Uh, start with a happy childhood. And you're thinking, wait a minute, that's not fair because I don't have any control over that part. True, and and they acknowledged that. They said, of course, you can't choose your family, but research found that the negative impact of an unhappy childhood can be reversed by surrounding yourself later in life with people who love you and support you. So there's a second chance. But the point is, the point of this piece of it was that bad things can shape you, but good relationships with good people can shape you even more. It's relational. It's, it's relationships with people, even at a young age. The second thing uh, that I'm highlighting that they discovered is that, they, as they said it, relationships are everything. When they were asked to summarize this entire study, one of the re- researchers said, happiness is love. Full stop. Relationships. We were made for good relationships. 
The next thing they said is also a relational thing. We're, uh, it, it says that one of the indicators of later long life and happiness was the ability to have mature coping skills, the ability to deal with difficult people and circumstances. Listen to the four virtues that they discovered would help people. See if you recognize any of these. Doing to others as you would have them do to you. Golden rule, right? Creatively resolving conflict. We're going to talk about that in James chapter 4 in our Sunday school class. Having patience. That's all over the Bible. And not taking oneself too seriously. As Paul would say, uh, thinking of oneself rightly. Um, Mature coping skills. Being able to relate to people well and circumstances. And the last one is something they call generativity. Generativity, it means giving back. They said that the best way to improve your life is to be unselfish and to focus on helping those around you. So three of those I just read you were all about relationships and relating to people. This last one is about a purpose, a mission, giving yourself away to others around you. Friends, we were made for this. This is who we are. We were made for intimacy, and we were made to make an impact. So my desire to be the king was part of the image of God in me. I was pursuing it in a wrong way, and we'll talk about that next week. But let's look a little more at the story of our creation to find out why those desires are good. And then next week, we'll look at why they tend to go bad. Um, One of the ways we're going to go through the entire Bible together uh, this fall is to take the theme of the kingdom of God and trace it all the way through the entire story. Um, And I'm basing this on an excellent little book called God's Big Picture. Uh, There are copies of it in the back if you want one, but uh, I'm just... Disclaimer, this is his stuff, but I'm kind of repackaging it for us. So, uh, Vaughn Roberts uses Graham Goldsworthy's definition of the kingdom of God when he says that the kingdom of God is God's kingdom in God's place, uh, no, God's people in God's place, under God's rule, and enjoying God's blessing. That's going to be our definition of the kingdom of God. We're going to take those things and trace them all the way through the Bible in the next nine or ten weeks. So, in Genesis 1 and 2, we see that God created a place and a people whom he put there to live under his rule and enjoy his blessing. Um, but before we get to the story of that creation, there's, there's a little bit of a backstory to that. Because the one who created... When it says, in the beginning, God, the one who created, is actually a three-in-one God. The Father. Paul said, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist. The Father was involved in creation. The Son, Jesus, was involved in creation. Paul said about him, By him, Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, 
whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And then, of course, we know that the Spirit was involved in creation because uh, Genesis says the earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So this three-in-one God is behind the creation. But in Genesis 1 and 2, there's some other things we learn about God. We learn that God is the king. Let me explain. He's the eternal king. We learn in Genesis 1 and 2 that he existed before all things. He made all things. Genesis even just assumes his existence. It doesn't explain how he got there. In the beginning, God. He's the eternal king. He's the creator king, which means he's the creator. He has not been created. He's unique. Anything that is not God was created by God. Even spiritual beings. Um, and this creator king is powerful and mighty. We learn this by reading Genesis 1 and 2. We also learn that he's the sovereign king. He rules and reigns by his word. What does that mean? He rules and reigns by his word of creation. He says, let there be, and there is. That's how he created the world. And so he created it. It's his to rule. But he also rules by the word of his command. He told Adam and Eve, you shall do these things, and then you shall not do this one thing. It's interesting when you read through Genesis 1 and 2. Look at all the, thing, the positive things God told them to do, and there's only one negative thing he told them not to do. So he's the sovereign king. He rules and reigns by his word, and he's the good king. Genesis 1 said he blessed them. He gave them a glorious place. He gave them rich resources and relationships. He gave them powerful creativity. He gave them meaningful purpose. He invited them into, they're creatures, but he invited them into relationship with himself. He invited them not only into relationship with himself, but into rulership with himself. We'll talk more about that in a minute. So God is the king in this kingdom. Let's, let's look at this pattern who are God's people? Um, in this case, obviously, Adam and Eve. Um, and it says that God made them in his image and likeness. What does that mean? Well, it means all kinds of things. But for our purposes this morning, we're just going to stick to one aspect of this. You've probably heard before that um, kings in the ancient Near East, uh, if they could, obviously could not be in every part of their kingdom, if the kingdom was bigger than Signal Mountain, they just couldn't be present in all of the places that were part of their kingdom. So they would create images of themselves, statues, and would have those delivered to all sectors of their kingdom. And the purpose was to say that wherever my image is, so is my presence and my authority. And so to be made in the image and likeness of God the king, is to be one that represents his presence and his authority. Um, and in this case, as I've said, God is the three-in-one God. God is the original community on a mission. Uh, God is the original being who is doing. 
Um, we are made in the image of one who is a relationship. We are made in the image of one who is a ruler. And so, being made in the image of one who is a relationship, he's a community, and one who does rule, he, he does things that make an impact, he does things that are amazing, we too are made to relate and rule. We're made to relate in community. God said, it is not good for man to be alone. He told them to go and multiply and fill the earth with a community of God's people. So we're made to relate. We're also made to rule, uh, to do something special, to have a purpose, a mission. Uh, we tend to think of ruling as automatically bad. Um, but no, in this, we were made to be vice regents with God. He said, subdue this earth, subdue these animals, take dominion. That's ruling language. Um, he said in Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, he said, he put them in the garden and he told them, work it and keep it. And real quickly, those are very key words in the Old Testament. Um, work it and keep it. Those Hebrew words are again repeated. You can go read Numbers 3 later. Um, they're repeated in the... Uh, in the instructions on what the priests are to do in the temple. God told the priests to work or minister or serve in the temple. God told the priests to uh, keep or to guard the temple and all that's in it. And so this priestly language God is using for Adam and Eve in the garden because the garden, friends, is the first temple. The garden is the first temple. We were created to be a kingdom of priests. In Exodus, and this is all through the story of the Bible. In Exodus 19, he says to Israel, you shall be to me a kingdom and priests. In 1 Peter, he calls, uh, Peter calls us, God's people, a royal priesthood. And at the very end of the story, in Revelation 5, there are people surrounding Jesus the Lamb on his throne, and they are singing to him, you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. So we are created to be a kingdom of priests. We're going to be a kingdom of priests. That's where we're headed. And so God's people were made to magnify and multiply the greatness and glory and goodness and grace of God by relating and ruling with him in the place he's put them. What about God's place? Calvin said that the world is a marvelous theater in which we live out the story. And the summary of that story could be when God said to his people, I will be your God and you will be my people. The place that God made for us to live and to dwell with him together. And we will do that, as we saw, in a new heaven and new earth as well. Um, God is very concerned about place. It's important to him. 
We learn in Genesis 1 and 2 that creation is good, that matter matters. Um, Zach Eswine said this, he said, to follow Jesus is a physical thing. As Jesus did, I must come from a place, inhabit a place, work in a place, love in it, carry a cross in it, die in it, and rise from it. Creation is good. The place where God has put you matters. But what does it mean that we're under God's rule? God's people in God's place under God's rule. As I said earlier, um, we're under the rule of his word. Um, we relate and rule with God in dependence upon our relating and ruling God. His word created a place for us to fellowship with him and with each other in community. And his word commands a purpose for us to follow him on his mission. So God's word, this book that we study together, this book tells us how to be with God, a community on God's mission. We're dependent upon God to inform us about our community on mission, and to involve us in it. And so friends, I'll, I want to say, I just want to stop right here and say, yes, you expect preachers to tell you the Bible is important because my livelihood depends on people who want to hear the Bible taught. No, no, no. no. All of our livelihood depends on the Word of God. You cannot know what you were made for unless you get in this story, unless you get in this book. So I, I plead with you, if you're one that struggles, and, and I know some people struggle with reading stuff, you come to me, I'll help figure out a way that you can get into the Bible, even if you can't read. We have wonderful technology these days. I, I plead with you, as God's people, if we want to be informed about what it means to live in God's story, and we want God to involve us in his story, we have to live under the rule of his word. This is how he rules us, is by his word. And finally, what does it mean to live under God's blessing, enjoy God's blessing? Well, as Genesis 2, the rest of it shows us, uh, the blessing is perfect relationships with God, perfect relationships with people, perfect relationship with all creation. This is the you first life. This is what we are made for. It's a blessing to live the way you are made to live. It's freedom to live the way you are made to live. Freedom is not getting to live the way you want to live. Freedom is really living the way you are made to live. And it's, joy, it's a joy to live the way you are made to live. But it's rest to live the way you were made to live. When he, when he took rest on the seventh day, notice that Moses in that description does not say what he says about all the other days. And there was evening and there was morning the seventh day. He doesn't say that. Because the intention of the seventh day of rest is that that's forever. This is what it means to live in community with God and God's people on God's mission. That's rest. Rest is what we're made for. 
And rest comes from living perfectly as God's people in God's place, under God's rule, and enjoying God's blessing. Next week, we're going to learn that the kingdom perished. That's the bad news. But the whole of God's story is good news. The true story begins with a temple and a kingdom of priests. And it ends with a temple and a kingdom of priests. But we know, and we'll see next week, that the priests betrayed the king and they let evil into the temple. But we know from the rest of the story, from the gospel, and what this table tells us, that Jesus, the true king and priest, became the Lamb of God who takes away our sin, and he is the king who disarms and defeats, crushes the head of the serpent. The the true story begins with a tree of life and ends with a tree of life. But Adam and Eve, as we know, they fed from the wrong tree. They ate the wrong fruit. I think it's fascinating that appetite is so wrapped up in God's story. Because it's certainly wrapped up in mine. This table reminds us that Jesus hung on a tree so that ultimately we could feed on him and find life. And so I invite you, friend, if you want to know what it means to rest in living as you were made to live, come to Jesus, the one who said, all those who are weary and heavy burdened, heavy laden, come to me and find rest for your souls. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for the story. Thank you for inviting us into it. Um, Even as people who have inherited Adam and Eve's rebellion against it. Thank you for this table that, that preaches to us the good news that even though our first parents fed from the wrong tree, you hung yourself on a tree to forgive our feeding at the wrong places so that we could ultimately find our satisfaction in you. Thank you, God. Thank you. And so we ask that by your spirit, you would help us bring our craving to the cross. We long to be someone special and do something special as you've made us to do. Only Jesus can create us, recreate us into the people you've made us to be. Would you do that even now as we come and feed on you by faith? And we set apart these, this bread and this cup from their normal daily use, and we ask that you would give them to us as signs and seals of your promise that if we would trust you, you would transform us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.